Glad you guys are all here, enjoying, I'm sure you're enjoying a beautiful weekend, it's really good. Um, if you're new to the Vine, I'm Zach, one of the pastors here, and uh, so glad that you can be here with us today. Um, just as a quick announcement that will get underscored um, at the end of the service, we're, we're going to hopefully be having, well not hopefully, we are, going to be having a prayer meeting tonight at 6 p.m. right here at the church. And if you can make it, we'd love to have you make it. If you can't make it, that's cool. But if you can make it, we'd love you to come. And we are embarking on potentially a new facility. And most of you know about that. A lot of you don't, though. And maybe we're going to be moving. And it's not a done deal yet. Um, We're hoping that it will be. But, man, we want to be people of prayer. And may it be said of us that we're known for that, you know, that we're not trying to do this stuff in our own power. We're not trying to manufacture spiritual results we're pleading with our Heavenly Father because we know we're so needy. I mean, that's Christianity 101, and, and sadly, that's, that's not how I live my life sometimes. So um, this is a great time to just practice being Christians, uh, just to plead with our Father about this building. And if it's not this building, we know that something better is in store. We pray that this one is, um, as far as we know right now. And so if you're free tonight at 6 right here at the church, please come and join us for prayer, and you'll be blessed by it. We are in 1 Peter. So we're in a new series in 1 Peter, and that's been um, the last two weeks. This is week three, and we're going to be stretching all the way until Easter. And so today, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 6. So if you have a Bible, why don't you grab it and open up to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. And uh, if you're new to your Bible, it's toward the very end, Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter. And we're going to dive in right there. But before we do, would you, would you please pray with me? Father, we, we ask for your help. We are needy people. I ask for your help. I, I can't do this apart from your help. Um, we can't listen to your word and rejoice over it apart from your help. That's very clear, and so we come to you in prayer um, right now, just pleading with you to um, awaken us by the power of your Spirit, that we would um, have right affections, right emotions, um, and that your word would come alive so that we can use it. We know your purpose is to use it to conform us um, and to remake us into the image of Jesus, and so would that be said of us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Madison is kind of an exercise culture. And I knew I, was, uh, I, knew long, I knew I wasn't in Kansas anymore. When I moved to Madison, I'm not from Kansas, but you know the phrase. Uh, Wizard of Oz, anyone? Okay. Um, I knew I wasn't in Kansas anymore when I was driving in a blizzard and I saw a dude with full, like, parka goggles on his bike. And it's like, man, this, this is an outdoorsy culture. Like, people are committed to their exercise. Now, I know, I know a lot of you in this room are the same way. <clears throat> you guys love to run road races, half marathon, marathon. My city group, almost half of my city group has done an Ironman or a half Ironman. This is a unique city group. These people are in shape, Okay. And so, you know, a lot of you are, are like that. Now, what would you think of someone who said, man, I'm just, 
I'm rocking it on the road races. Like, I'm, I'm just a killer marathon runner. And you ask them, well, okay, I'd just be curious. Like, what marathons have you participated in? And they say, oh, none. I, but, I, but I know I'm, I'm, I'm good for it. I know I would just dominate the course on, on marathon day. Like, that would be a little odd, would it not, right? Because someone could brag all day long about how awesome of a runner they are and how they're going to kill it on race day, right? But until you've actually endured mile 21, until you've actually endured mile 22 and mile 23 and mile 24, until you've actually endured being severely tested on the race course, you can't know if you're a legit marathon runner. You can't really have assurance that you're the real deal until you pass through the fire. The fire of your lungs burning. The fire of feeling like your legs are going to fall off, right? You have to persevere to know you're genuine, to know you're legit. And once you do pass that test and you cross that finish line, you can know that for sure. Yeah, it's, th- this marathon is in my past. I crossed the finish line and I... I'm a marathon runner. I did it. And here's the cool thing. Many people testify that when they cross that finish line, it's like this euphoria comes over them. This sense of completion just leads to what? It leads to joy. Not just that you finished and the suffering of those three hours or four hours is over, but that you did it. Man, it's completed. You passed through the fire, and you made it. And and for the marathon runner, almost always, an acute sense of perseverance and an acute sense of rejoicing when it's over go together. Rejoicing and perseverance go together. And similarly, we're going to see that same theme in our text for today. Like a marathon runner, real Christian faith perseveres. Real Christian faith rejoices. Let me say that again. Real Christian faith perseveres and real Christian faith rejoices. All right, so let's dive in and see what we have here in our text for today. Let's look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, there's our word, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So let's back up and walk through this here. Look at those first two words of verse 6. What does it say? It says, in this. So question, in what? This is another great example of why we have to read our Bibles in context, right? Because if we don't read our Bibles in context of what's come before it, We have no idea what he's talking about. If we just open up verse 6, it says, in this, we're like, what? I don't know what he's talking about. But we do, because last week, Scott preached a great message on verses 3, 4, and 5. 
And I want to just read it to remind us and for those that were gone. So we can see the context. What is this, this, verse 6? You with me? Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable. Check out these adjectives. Imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So look at three things here that are really important. We've got verse 3, a, a living hope. He's writing to this first audience. He's saying, You've got, you guys have a living hope. Why? Because Jesus is risen from the dead. It's true. So you've got hope. What else? You've got an inheritance. And, and you're being guarded through faith. By God's power. See that in verse 5? So, so look at this. you got massive statements of Christian identity here that Peter wants to write to this first audience, Asia Minor, 2,000 years ago roughly, and saying, this is who you are. If, this is a Christian, if you're a Christian, this is who you are. You're a hopeful people. Why? Because Jesus is no longer in the tomb, and, and, and death no longer has any sting, and the penalty of death has been defeated by Jesus himself. If he's still in that grave... It's not defeated, but he's not still in that grave. He's alive, and so you can have hope, too, that your life is not just, up. Oh, you die, and that's it. No, you, your life is going to stretch on into eternity, and if, and if you're a Christian, that's going to be glorious eternity with Jesus. And so you can have hope now because that's coming. You're hopeful. And, and he's saying you got this massive inheritance. It's not dollars and cents. It's better than any trust fund you could conceive of. This is what you have. This is true of you. And he said, you're, you're being guarded. See that in verse 5? Kept safe by faith. You've got an eternal home with God that no one can ever take from you. So what he's doing is saying, you've got massive statements of identity. I want you to know and be reminded of who you are. And that should do what? It should cause you to rejoice. Think about what God says about you. Think about who you are, what God says you're all about. How encouraging is that? So when Peter writes in verse 6, in this, that's what he's referring to. Living hope, inheritance, guarded. If you are a Christian today, this is grounds for you to like Madison, Camp Randall Stadium, get out your seat and jump around. Are you with me, anybody? Right? That's reason to rejoice. And that's what he's getting at. Verse 6, look at it. In this you rejoice. In verse 3, 4, and 5, you rejoice. And he noticed that about these believers in Asia Minor about roughly 2,000 years ago. And I think he wants us to read that today, many, many years later, and ask ourselves, man, are we rejoicing? Do we read 3, 4, and 5 and go, yes. Thank God, that is amazing, that is awesome. And it's good for us just to test our hearts here. This is good for us. Now, don't compare yourself to other people, but do you rejoice in your style, in your personality? Is your heart moved when you read 3, 4, and 5? And the an if the answer is yes, be encouraged. It's not going to be perfect, but is the overall direction of your heart yeah, to rejoice in those verses? Like, I read that, and yeah, I think I, I, my motives are cloudy. I get it, yes. But I think, generally speaking, I, I rejoice in that. 
I definitely am just like, whatever. That's good. That's evidence of God's spirit in you. And I, I know so many of you, and I know that's true of you, and I'm encouraged by it when I see it. And here's the deal. As you test your heart, if the, if the honest answer is no, don't be discouraged. Um, the Bible's not written for you to wallow in discouragement, but here's what we should do. Just ask for help. Ask for help. Say, say, and go to the Lord in prayer and say, God, I don't sense that I rejoice in these things. My heart is not moved. I know you care about my emotions. Help me. Give me a desire for you that is authentic. Awaken my heart to rejoice in what you say about me. Help me believe, God. So, so don't despair. Pray. Don't despair. Repent. Don't despair. Get your nose in the Bible and soak in what God says about you, praying that God would move your heart as you read. Don't despair. Seek counsel. Talk about that with somebody. So, so Peter commends his first audience for what he sees in them, Right? But, but there's, a, there's a comma after that. In this, you rejoice. There's a comma. And he gives a qualifier. Christians, like we know, and like we've been talking about, should be joy people, rejoicing people. If we know what's true of us, this is who we are. But it's not all we are, is it? Like the Christian experience is also a human experience. And it's not just a flat line of one thing. It's complex. It's nuanced. It's up and it's down. And Peter knows this, and he addresses it, thankfully. We got joy for sure, but also we, what, we struggle a little bit right now, don't we? And, and, and we're grieved a little bit right now, aren't we? Let's look at verse 6. In this you rejoice, comma, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So we struggle with what? We're sad or grieved about what? Well, the verse tells us, what does it say? It says various trials. But, but please listen, listen up to this. This is very important. For his first audience and for us, he wants them to know, and he wants us to know that these trials are not random. You do not live in a purposeless, cold, no one's out there universe. Our trials are not by accident. It's not as if God is sadistically playing games with us. No, and may it never be. These trials serve a purpose. What is that? What's the reason for these trials? Well, there's a lot we can say. The Bible gives many, many reasons for why we suffer. And it's not a specific one-to-one your type of situation. Like, why, Lord, cancer? Why, Lord, did I lose my job? Why, Lord, do we have a miscarriage? Oftentimes, we never know the direct reason, but we have tons of biblical information about the 30,000-foot reason, okay? You, you hear what I'm saying? The Bible talks about that a lot, why suffering happens in general. And we have one of those right here. What does it say? Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, <coughs> if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Why? Well, it says, thankfully, so that, here comes the reason, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
So look at verse 7, and I want you to see the present-future relationship that Peter's articulating here. See verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, he's saying this is happening to you right now. This is present tense. Your faith is being tested in in what you're enduring, first believers in Asia Minor 2,000 years ago. But that present tense is leading to a future tense. What is that? The end of verse 7. See, the future tense of may be found to result in something, not necessarily right now, but in the future, right? Praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what is he saying here? He's saying this, that that these present trials, they test us, they check us. Are we legit? Trials give us the opportunity to know if our faith is real. He uses the word genuine in the here, in the now, in the present tense. So that in the future, we may have something. See that there? May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What does real, genuine faith look like? He just tells us there at the end. It looks like at the end of all time, when when Jesus returns to make all things right and, and set everything correct, all justice Made right one day, we ache for it now. One day it will, be co- it will come and it will be full and, and it, will, it will be completely um, tangible for us to see. And we say, Lord Jesus, may that day come. On that day, we won't fear God's judgment. What will we have? We'll have praise and glory and honor. See that in verse 7? At the final revelation of Jesus Christ. So according to P- Peter, real faith, genuine faith, looks forward to that day and says, man, this is who I'm going to be on that day. I'm going to be praising you, Jesus. I'm going to be glorifying you, Jesus. I'm going to be honoring you, Jesus, on that day. See, trials that we endure right now help us become that kind of person. Help us know for sure that we'll be someone on that day that's doing what? It's rejoicing. It's rejoicing. But before that day, trials come and they test us. They test us. And, and friends, hear this. This is God's fatherly care for us. These trials that we all endure in various forms are producing in us genuine faith if you persevere to the end. These trials are showing that you're legit, genuine, if you hang on to Jesus in the midst of it. These trials give you an opportunity to know for sure that you're not trusting in little g false gods. See, see God brings these trials, fiery trials, to melt away all that's impure. And he uses these trials to, 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 to peel our fingers back on that iron grip that we want to have on these little g false gods that are so foolish and so silly. So I want us to see that this is the Father's good pleasure to have an end game in mind for us that's beyond just the short-term pleasure of comfort because he wants the long-term eternal comforts for us. So, so, so though it's uncomfortable, really uncomfortable at times, these tests and trials are for our good from a good father. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example. Consider a businessman 
extremely wealthy, extremely successful, massive million-dollar business, tons of success, tons of adulation, power, fame, wealth. It's really respected in the community because of this. Then 2008 comes along. Massive economic collapse. Massive economic calamity. And this, for him, is a big trial because people can't afford to hire his business anymore because they just don't have any money like they did a few years before. So his business goes under. No more power, wealth, and fame. And he responds in anger. God, how dare you do this to me? He shakes his fist at the God of the whole universe and says, how dare you? How dare you treat me this way? I hate you. And he chucks going to church, and he chucks reading his Bible. He says, forget it. He turns his back on all of it. Now, this is his authentic response. That we know that probably all along his faith wasn't in God. It was in what? His business. The faith, or the, 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 the fame, the money, the power. And that trial exposes that his faith was not genuine. But consider something else. Consider the trial comes along, the, 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 the money stops coming in, the business shuts down, he's got to painfully lay off all these people, and with tears in his eyes, because trials are real, we don't diminish that they're real. So with tears in his eyes, he yet responds in worship. And he says, the Lord is, is given and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord with, with tears in his eyes. And he embraces the suffering, knowing that all things come from the hand of God, but, but knowing that God has, has promised to never leave him or forsake him. He promises him an inheritance that has nothing to do with the business, that, whether it succeeds or fails. He knows that the Lord has him as a father loves his children. And he will not reject God. He's going to draw near to God in the midst of the emotional turmoil, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the, t- the pain. See, what this shows is that his faith through the trial, as he endures, it demonstrates for everyone, like, like when things get stripped away, things become clear, right? So it's stripped away for him, and it's clear. Yeah, his faith isn't in his business. His faith really is in, is, is in God. He's genuine. His faith has proved to be genuine, like the text talks about. So yes, in a short-term sense, man, these trials are hard. But God brings them about purposefully in our lives to give us assurance of our salvation, assurance that our faith is genuine. If you endure the test, you know that you're for real. You're not, you're not a faker. You're not a poser. So here's the deal. Real Christian faith perseveres. Real Christian faith rejoices. Real Christian faith perseveres. Real Christian faith rejoices. Now let's talk for a second about these trials that Peter talks about. Now for the first audience, based on the context of what we've heard the last couple weeks, this is probably, and what we'll see is coming later in, in, in the following verses, this is all probably centered for them back then on persecution, on persecution for their faith, okay? They're standing out in a pagan culture as weirdo Christians. 
Like, what do you guys believe? Like, that is so messed up. The values that you have are so contrary to the culture they were living in. And that was probably the main trial that they faced. But I don't think that was the only thing that Peter had in mind in this verse, in verse 6. Because why? Because he uses the word various trials. Verse 6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He knows that the human experience brings about lots of different types of trials, not just Christian persecution. Some of you are in the midst of a painful trial right now. And for some of you, it may be exactly what the first audience was probably dealing with. Man, you, you feel like, if I, if I speak my faith, I'm going to stand out. And more and more you understand in our culture that the, 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 the commending Jesus to people is just not well received. You might be deemed a weirdo. You might stand out as kind of a freak, like the weird Christian, and you don't want to risk being different. You don't want to risk being ostracized or, or somehow alone. And let me just say this as a bit of a side note. I think it's important for us to think through that if we've never felt that in the, in the least bit, it may mean that we're trying too hard to fit in. Maybe our, our fear of, of man is way up here and our fear of God is way down here. So, so don't pack your bags for a guilt trip, okay? But, but just ask yourself if that's you. Why is that the case? What needs to change so I don't worry so much about fitting in with the culture? Confess this to the Lord. Confess this in your city group. Ask for help. Some of you are experiencing other kinds of trials of the various types. Man, kids that are wayward. It's heartbreaking. Struggling with, with loneliness. Maybe you're struggling with loneliness in marriage because the marriage is really a challenge right now. Maybe you're struggling with loneliness as a single person. Maybe you've got family relationships that are just all messed up and you look to Thanksgiving coming up and you're like, man, can we really get through another Thanksgiving? Struggles at work that might be giving you massive headaches. Here's something I want you to see with crystal clarity. A couple things from the text. Remember, again, let me say it again. God sometimes brings these about in our lives so that our faith will prove genuine. It's uncomfortable, yes, and we never diminish that, but lovingly necessary because God has our eternity in view, not just our short-term comfort. And that's even though painful, is good for us, okay? But I want you to see this as well from the text and be comforted as we face various trials in this life. Look at, look at verse 6 with me again. And I want you to look at a very important word. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. See that? Now for a little while. Isn't it great? that Peter reorients our perspective. It's just a little while. It's not a long while. It's a little while. In the scope of eternity, <clears throat> it's just a little while. It's just the blink of an eye in the scope of eternity. A thousand years from now, you'll look back on the trial that you now face and you won't, it won't matter a bit. You won't remember hardly any of it. And you'll be able to remember, man, I think, 
I think that's how the Lord used this in my life for the sake of where I am, wherever in eternity. That's why Peter writes, it's just a little while. So what's the implication? Hold on. Hang on. It's just a little while. And then it's going to be gone. Then it's going to be like, 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 like the Bible says our, our, our lives are like a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. It's just a little while. And then we step into eternity. It's almost over. Don't give in. Keep fighting for obedience to Jesus. Keep fighting to hang on and love Jesus. Keep fighting to not give in to the sin and the fleshly desires that just want to climb out of us. Keep fighting. It's just a little while. Real Christian faith perseveres, and real Christian faith rejoices. <clears throat> Let's keep reading. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So what does it say here? Believing is not based on seeing. See that? Let's follow Peter's train of thought here. Twice he says in verse 8, though you've not seen him, so you haven't seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. So there's repetition here for a purpose. He's making a point. He's saying even though you've not seen Jesus physically with your own eyes, two things are present that should be commended in you. You love him. You authentically love him. And second, you believe in him. You love him and you believe in him. It's like he's saying, I, I'm Peter, and I walked with Jesus, and I, and I hung out with him, and I ate with him, and I had lots of ups and downs with him, but you haven't. This is like a next generation of Christians that, that live a long ways away, and they most likely weren't alive when Jesus, or they didn't have the opportunity to hang out with Jesus when he walked the earth. Peter says, I did, but you haven't. But what? You still love him. You still believe in him. And that's a really good thing, he's saying. Why, why would he, because it seems like a bit of an awkward transition. Why would he go from talking about faith being tested and proving genuine and then jump to this, well, you haven't seen him and you believe him and love him. Why would he do that? Well, I think what Peter's trying to do is prov provide a profound sense of encouragement to these first believers and to us. He's wanting to write and just, just give him a, a shot in the arm of encouragement. Why would that be? Well, I think some of this first audience might be looking at the persecution that's swirling around them and wondering, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? Do I have the faith to stand up, to look the persecutors in the eye and say, like Peter and John, say what you want, do what you want, but I can't help but speak about what I know is true. And they're wondering, is that me? Do I have what it takes to finish the race, to finish the marathon? Will I persevere to the end? Will I turn back because of this, this, this fire I'm in? And Peter wants them to know, listen, this is what I see in you. This is what I see in you. Be encouraged. This is your Christian identity. And you're not like those, 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 those religious elites during Jesus' day who saw with their own eyes Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And it should have transformed their life into worship and rejoicing. But what did it do? It hardened their hearts. And he's saying, I don't see that in you. 
and you haven't even seen Jesus with your own eyes. I don't see that in you. I see love and I see belief, so be encouraged. It's like he's saying, remember Thomas? Thomas hung out with Jesus a lot, and after Jesus was risen from the dead, Jesus' disciples came to Thomas and said, Jesus is risen from the dead. And Thomas was like, whatever, unless I see it, unless I touch it. I'm like, I'll never believe that. And it's like Peter's saying, man, you guys are not like Thomas. You should be commended because your faith is overflowing. You're going to make it. I see love and belief in you. Be encouraged. And it's like he's, he wants to quote John 20, 29, where Jesus says to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See that there on the screen? It's like, it's like Peter saying to this first audience and to us, man, you're blessed because you haven't seen, and yet you're believing. I see blessing in your life, and that kind of blessing is going to help you endure in the face of trials. What else does he say? He, keeps it, he just keeps it rolling. Look at verse 8 with me. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And what else? And there's our word again. And rejoice with what? With inexpressible joy. With joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I think what he's talking about here is a type of profundity in joy that should just land on us when we know these things are true and we believe them. You know how there's certain types of joy that it's just it's hard to articulate, right? It's hard to articulate. You with me? It's like our English language has phrases to, to talk about this. Like, it took my breath away. Like, if you can't breathe, you can't talk. Meaning, I, don't, I, I didn't have any words. It was inexpressible. We, we've got a phrase like, I was left speechless. It's like, there's no words. It's inexpressible. I, I experience this around, around nature. I'm sure some of you are with me. Like, sometimes there's that sunset that's so staggering it's clearly not the time to turn and just be like a jabber box with your friends, right? It's a time to just soak it in. And that lands on you with a profound sense of joy. Like, I'm so small, and God who made this is so big, and, and, and I've got this amazing sense of profound joy even in my smallness. I, I climbed a lot of, um, I have climbed a lot of mountains in my adult life. And just this last summer, I got to do that with my boys. You get to the top of that mountain, the second highest peak we were at in the lower 48 states. And that view is so magnificent. Again, it, it's not like um, a frivolous joy. It's this profound, intense, inexpressible joy at the beauty of what you get to see. It's not something you see every day when you're up that high. And I think that's what Peter's getting at here. In light of a faith that's been tested and passed the test, in light of a faith in Jesus that believes even though it has not seen, this produces joy. And that runs so deep. There's no words. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. Verse 9, the salvation of your souls. We, we started this message with rejoicing. Reflecting on verses 3, 4, and 5. And Peter ends this section with rejoicing as well. We rejoice in what? We rejoice in, really simply, salvation. Verse 9. Faith that leads to salvation. And may we never look at the cross and yawn, right? May we always be staggered. And this is a fight. I get it. I don't feel this every day, but may we fight for it. May we not be content to just be like, eh, whatever, Jesus, thanks. 
I'm just going to show up at church because I have to. No, man, this is, this is inexpressible joy if we really know it. The salvation of your souls, it says. So let's not be numb to these things, though we hear it and are reminded of it all the time. Peter, Peter's saying there's massive ground for rejoicing, and it's simply this, that salvation is ours or can be yours, if you're not a Christian today, by simply having faith in Jesus. And what does faith mean? Faith means trusting in Jesus and what he did when he laid down his life to save sinners and, and raised from the dead to, 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 to document in the history that it's all true and they can be trusted. That can be yours if that's not yours this morning. And if it is already yours, man, that's just cause to rejoice. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So what have we seen today? We've seen that a Christian rejoices in what they've been given, verse 3, 4, and 5, as a Christian. And, and we've also been grieved by various trials, all scattered throughout this room in various ways, but these, friends, are for our good, so that we can know that our faith is legit, and we're going to finish this marathon that is the Christian life. And when we finish, like the runner that's, that crosses that finish line, there's massive joy that awaits us. And it's not temporal, it's eternal. Real Christian faith perseveres, and real Christian faith rejoices. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this grace that you've given us. Thank you that you have not left us without a word from you. And may this word profoundly encourage us today. In Jesus' name, amen.